another episode of Toho Yaro, a Japanese film club podcast. I'm your host for this month's episode, Alex Kazanis, and with me as always are my co-hosts Joey Weiser. Hello, Alex. And Scott Dryman. Hi, everybody. And this month, we are tackling uh, 2000's Battle Royale, directed by Kinji Fukusaku. to do this one for a while battle royale might be it was one of the first japanese films i've ever seen Mm. it uh came out basically while i was in high school and um if you were an anime fan uh the internet was a buzz about this movie because it was so controversial uh battle royale is based on uh a novel by koshun takami a former reporter it was published in 1999 and uh, it quickly became a bestseller and spawned the movie and a manga a year later. Now, uh, I have not read the novel or the manga. Uh, have either of you? No, nope. I haven't. Yeah, when when it came out, I uh, I did a whole crap ton of research though about um, the differences between the manga, uh, the novel, and the and the movie. And mm. <clears throat> they're numerous, but they basically are they equate to the same sort of thing. Um, the uh, apparently when he was writing the novel, uh, Takami uh, ran into uh, a few hiccups um, because it was so controversial, um, and it wasn't released until about two years after he had uh, finished writing it. Now, uh, do you guys have any particular history with this movie? Uh, I I'd seen it before. I've seen it a few times, I think. Uh, but it was definitely yeah, like high school and college in the sort of early 2000s um and i don't even remember uh where and in what circumstances i've seen it It is it was been quite a while and i definitely remember the kind of buzz around it like you can't believe this crazy movie you know just a bunch of japanese uh school kids go to an island kill each other you know and and it just uh it's really interesting to kind of uh think about how crazy it sounded and how controversial and everything it was. And then kind of like fast forward a decade and we get the hunger games as like one of the biggest, most popular movies in America. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a similar experience seeing it, a uh, fan sub version that somebody had burned to a CD forever ago, close to when it came out. <clears throat> and yeah, it really is probably the first live action Japanese film I had seen that wasn't like black and white samurai or Godzilla. So it was pretty, pretty formative to my understanding of Japanese film, even though it's so was so much of a crazy outlier at the time. Um, but yeah, I've, I watched it near when it came out within a few years. And then I also have watched it like one or two other times since, but it's been a while prior to this, this time. Mm hmm. Yeah, for me, it's been, gosh, it's probably been since since college, um, since I've seen this movie. I was super into it, um, and um, I was really uh, enamored with a lot of the actors in it because um, it shares a few actors, or at least uh, you know, with some some films that I'd seen before. One of which was Kill Bill, and we'll get into that 
in just a moment. Uh, so the director, Kinji Fukusaku, um, most notable for his uh, insane and prolific Yakuza series, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, yeah. um, which people uh, talk about as being the godfather of uh, Yakuza series. I'd like to point out that even though I've got this long-running history with this movie, I'd never really looked into it and did not realize that he was the same director as <laughs> Battles Without Honor and Humanity. So this is a, a very recent revelation for me. Yeah, no, I it even took me a while after I had uh, sort of like gotten into uh, older Japanese cinema and gotten really into, you know, Battles Without Honor and Humanity and, and all that stuff uh, to put two and two together that these are the same people. Uh, or the same director. <laughs> Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's it's. I didn't know that until I was doing research on the film. So <laughs> I was I was extremely late to this this party. Now, uh, this movie has uh, an insanely large cast. Uh, fun fact about the cast of this movie: um, over. Uh, or about 6,000 actors auditioned for the film. Uh, and then they narrowed it down to 800 potential cast members, and then the finals were subjected to a six-month period of physical fitness training uh, under uh, Mr. Fukusaku, who eventually ended up casting 42 out of the 800. I want to see so, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> the making of this movie. Contestants, or uh, 800 people down to 42 after grueling physical training. <laughs> yeah. Um, now most of the um, most of the cast had all graduated from secondary education, um, but there were a few notable exceptions uh, who were the youngest members of the cast, aged fifteen to sixteen years old. Um, and of course, Tari Yamamoto and uh, Masanobu Ando, who uh, respectively each play uh, Kawada and Kirama, um, were the oldest, and they were about twenty-five at the time. Uh, Fukusaku said that he decided to direct the film because the novel was adapted um, from uh, the, the novel that it was adapted of uh, reminded him of his time as a munitions factory worker during World War II, at which point he was 15 years old. Um, and his class was made, his entire class was made to work in a munitions factory. Hmm. And um, there is a, a story where in 1945 the factory came under artillery fire and the children couldn't escape, so they each uh, dived under each other to cover, and the surviving members of the class had to dispose of the corpses. At that point, Fukusaka realized the Japanese government was lying about World War II, and he developed a burning hatred of adults in general that he maintained for a long time afterwards. So, uh, Mr. Fukusaku, uh, this is basically the uh, movie he was born to make. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Do, do you have uh, the quote? <laughs> this is my favorite quote about this movie from him. Uh that after it had been rated uh, R15, which is the um, basically the equivalent to R, no one under 15 can see it, um, he was so upset by this that he uh, declared, and this is a quote, kids, don't worry about the R15, just rush into the theater. I made this just for you, kids. I hope you guys have enough guts and wits to make it in. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nuts. Uh, I remember... Um, Back in the early 2000s, uh, it was extremely hard to get a copy of this film mm -hmm. uh, if it wasn't a bootleg copy because uh, it was not distributed in North America until fairly recently. Um, so uh, apparently in uh, 
In 2005, by representative of a prospective uh, U.S. distributor, that Japanese executives from the Toei company were advised by American lawyers who attended the test screenings in the early 2000s that they'd, quote, unquote, go to jail had the film been mass released in the USA at the time. Uh, I guess this is, wow. of course, due to the ridiculous uh, violence between children. Mm-hmm. But now we have Hunger Games, so <laughs> how about that? Everything softens over time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think the, the official U.S. release was until 2012. Wow. Yeah, it took yeah. them a very, very long time to release uh, an actual official copy of this. Um, admittedly, I um, the copy that I have on my shelf is a um, bootleg copy from back when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but the copy that I watched for, um, for our podcast uh, is the one that is on the streaming network VRV. And um, they also have this on Hulu and uh, Netflix as well, if you have uh, um, accounts for both of those. But um, the Netflix version is the director's cut, and I believe the Hulu version might be the same. Okay, so you didn't see the director's cut. I have seen the director's cut before, but I didn't uh, didn't watch it before uh, doing the podcast. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit afterwards. uh, Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um. So let's get into the cast of this movie, <clears throat> which is plentiful, um, but I will um, I, w- I won't go through every single member of the cast, but I will uh, there are a few notables. So um, Tatsuya Fujiwara plays the main character Shuya Nanahara. He is most famous for his light in uh, or his role as light in the live action Death Note movies and Shishio in the live action Kenshin movies. Um, but really, he's celebrated as a theatrical actor, uh, having collaborated with uh, Yukio Inagawa, one of the most prolific uh, theater directors in Japan. He also has uh, extensive television credits, and um, I also wanted to note that he is the uh, voice of Emperor Kuzco in the Japanese dub of <laughs> Emperor's New Groove. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, Battle Royale uh, basically kickstarted his career, and he's been in a ton of stuff since. Um, uh, Aki Maeda is um, uh, Noriko Nakagawa. She went on to star in a few films following Battle Royale, uh, including the sequel. Um, and uh, Linda Linda Linda, Genji A Thousand Year Love, and Godzilla Mother and King... Or, I'm sorry. Godzilla Mothra and King Ghidorah, uh, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing, uh, nothing else of note that I had uh, noted. Now, um, Taro Yamamoto uh, plays Kawada. Uh, Kawada is a very cool character in the movie, and uh, I think he has probably the most interesting um, interesting behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, so his, his credits include Genji, A Thousand Year Love, uh, Takashi Miike's Izo, and uh, a movie called Moonchild, which is a film written and starring Gakt, mm. which is something that I don't think I want to watch. <laughs> 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 Hyde is also in that movie. Uh, wow. More notably, though, uh, after the Fukushima disaster, he became heavily uh, involved in politics. He became a hardcore activist and is now currently serving as a member of the House of Counselors and as co-chairman and policy deliberation chairman of Liberal Party in Japan. Uh, so he quit acting and became a, uh, a super liberal um, politician. Very interesting. Yeah, I thought that was... I thought that was kind of interesting and noble, and he was, you know, the Fukushima disaster really pissed him off. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, Asanobu Ando uh, played uh, Kiriyama. Uh, he won numerous newcomer awards for um, uh, starring in uh, Takeshi Kitano's film Kids Return. Um, he won a crap ton of awards for this. Uh, makes me think that we should watch it at some point. Hmm. Um, and he's in several Takashi Miike films like Sukiyaki Western Django, Big Bang Love, and Juvenile A. Uh, this and uh, this next actress uh, is um, when I watched Battle Royale, I was like, "Ooh, ooh, it's Gogo!" Yeah, it's uh, Chiaki Kuriyama <laughs> uh, who plays uh, Takako Chigusa, and yes, she was Gogo Yubari in uh, in Kill Bill Volume One. Now. Uh, the next actress, Koshi Basaki, uh, who plays Mitsuko, um, she's uh, I know her from the Japanese uh, One Missed Call movies. Um, but fun trivia is that she was supposed to be in Kill Bill Volume Two as Gogo Yubari's sister. Oh, interesting. Uh, who, hmm. Yeah, who is trying to get revenge against the bride for killing Gogo in the first movie, and they have a um, a shootout chase through San Francisco. I um I'm I'm kind of upset that this uh didn't make it into the film because it would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Um and Takeshi Kitano is in this movie. Um, oh. Who, playing the character <laughs> of Kitano. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. It, what else really haven't we said about uh Pete Takeshi? Yeah, we know this guy. <laughs> yeah. Um and uh one more notable actress. Uh she's in the movie for very little, but you might recognize her voice. This is uh, Yuko Miyamura, and um, she is the seiyu for uh, Asuka in Neon Genesis Evangelion and Chun-Li in the Street Fighter video games. Yeah, and she's the, like, videotape lady, right? The, That's right. Yeah, from the instructional video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the <laughs> how to not die in Battle Royale <laughs> until you do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so let's get down to the actual movie itself. Uh, the movie opens up uh, with the winner of the uh, of a battle royale competition. It's a uh, a little girl. Uh, the news the, the she's being swarmed by reporters, and uh, what is freaking out the the um, main news reporter is that she is smiling and covered in blood. Uh, this is with sort of a like teddy bear. A, with a teddy bear, yeah, a very young, very young girl, um, and that is our cold open for the movie. And we are uh, <clears throat> the movie uh, starts by playing uh, Verdi's Dies Irae, which is uh, a song that you've definitely heard before in mostly in fake movie trailers for things hmm. <laughs> like parodies of movie trailers, uh, and the use of um, classical music is being used all over. Uh, all over this movie. Um, uh, so we start off um, with uh, Shuya uh, Nanahara is our um, he's giving us a bit of a primer. Uh, his father had committed suicide. Uh, you see his um, you see his father hanging there with toilet paper that says uh, Gunbari uh, Shuya written all over it or go for it. Um and that uh, there was a big recession in Japan, and uh, kids sort of became unruly, and there was a massive uh, walkout where kids just didn't come to school because they didn't feel like it. Um, it it's a bit of a flashback to seventh grade where uh, uh, you see 
Noriko uh, Nakagawa walk into class. Nobody's there. Uh, the only well, the only person there is their teacher uh, Kitano, who just sort of gets up to leave because nobody else is in school. As he's leaving, he gets uh, uh, sliced in the ass by uh, by a kid named Nobu, who drops uh, drops the knife, and uh, Noriko picks it up and uh, is a little bit horrified as to what's going on. Um, we cut to several years later, uh, um, where Class 3B, a ninth grade class, is on their way to the school trip. Uh, where there, It's not stated where the school trip is going, but uh, it's essentially 40-some students and their teacher on, on a bus. Uh, we see them palling around and you know getting, getting the feel that, yeah, these are all friends, and uh, Nordico brings cookies uh, to share with everyone. Uh, Nobu is on the bus, uh, although he apparently shouldn't be. Uh, Nobu just never came back to school, but he came back this once for the school trip. Yeah, to have fun. <laughs> yeah, just to have fun, because yeah. it's, hey, it's a school trip. I get to hang out with my friends that I don't see anymore. This will be great. Um, so, Klaus 3B uh, eventually gets knocked out on the way to the... Um, uh, to their uh, destination. Um, Shio wakes up, sees everybody passed out, except for the bus tour guide who is wearing a gas mask, and she uh, promptly clocks him in the head. Uh, when he comes to, uh, he wakes up in a classroom with all of his classmates. Uh, suddenly, uh, JSDF soldiers uh, kind of scramble in, as well as their old 7th grade teacher, Kitano. And he explains to them that the class has been chosen randomly to participate in uh, the Battle Royale um, as a result of the BR Act, uh, which was uh, which was sort of explained by Shui at the beginning of the movie. Uh, there was uh, it was basically a way for uh, adults to to uh, get a rein on the unruly uh, children that that had sort of risen up, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. after the recession. Um, he puts on a video for them, and hold on, in my notes, I actually I took notes of everybody who got killed, um, just because I thought that would be fun. <laughs> uh, he puts on a, uh, a video uh, wherein a bubbly, um, a, a bubbly young woman uh, explains the rules of the game. Uh, they're on an island for the next three days. Um, there are danger zones on on the map grid that will um, that will make your oh yeah everybody's outfitted with a a tracking collar, which um, will explode if you try to take it off. It will also explode during certain points when danger zones on the map are uh, triggered. Uh, the goal, of course, is to kill the rest of your classmates and be the last one standing by the end of the three days. Otherwise, you'll all be blown up. Um, of course, several students uh, protest this. Uh, Fujiyoshi is the first one to die um, because she speaks up out of turn, and Kitano throws a knife, hitting her directly in the forehead. Uh, of course, this freaks everybody out. Uh, this is during the movie. Uh, after after they're watching, after they're done watching the movie, um, you know, Nobu, uh, Nobu is basically you know, he sort of mouths off a bit, and, uh, and Kitano 
gets his revenge by slicing Nobu on his ass and um, making him an example of the rest of the students by activating his collar. Uh, Nobu has a really heartfelt moment with Shuya, his best friend, right before the collar explodes, um, gushing blood out of his neck everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, this kind of like brings up the sort of interesting back and forth with Kitano where he's kind of like, in some ways, seems like he's just kind of uh, going along with the BR Act and he's just carrying out his duty passionately let like without any passion and then in some ways he also seems very petty and like this is his chance to like get back at the these kids that uh you know wrecked his life yeah Yeah, his 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 whole demeanor during this scene is pretty amazing because it's like low-key sadistic Mm-hmm. The way he's like excitedly clapping along with the <laughs> with the video, the like he's presenting an educational video to like five year olds, yeah, yeah. Just the kind of uh, lackadaisical attitude he he shows while dispatching his former students. Yeah, in in typical Katano fashion, he is a a stone wall. Um, it's it's pretty great actually, um, and. And that is used in great effect later on in the movie when he actually does blow his top. Um, <clears throat> so they uh, they are each uh, given a bag with rations, water, a map of the island, a compass, and um, a random weapon, uh, which you know could be anything from a pot lid <laughs> to to an axe to an Uzi, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they're all given they're all given their weapons one by one. Um, including two classmates who are quote unquote transfer students, um, who are both uh, <laughs> who both sit cool like cool guys at the opposite ends of the classroom. Yeah, uh, like it's a very anime trope. Like, oh, who's that guy? That mysterious shadow in the corner? Oh, he's a transfer student. <laughs> uh, one of which, of course, is Kawada, who is noted by his Ryoga esque uh, headband, and the other one is Kiriyama who is dressed like a typical uh, delinquent slash pop idol. <laughs> yeah, the Edward Scissorhands look. <laughs> yeah, he's got the he's got the pop idol hair and he's got his his uh uniform like wide open mm-hmm. like, you know. I don't I don't listen to authority. Um so uh, uh Shuya when he leaves, he tells Noriko, "I will wait outside for you." Um and as soon as he comes outside, uh a girl, Tendo, um, is walking towards uh, Shuya with an arrow in her neck, and she dies pretty much immediately. Uh, pretty much after that, a a chunky boy named Akamatsu is um, is uh, trying to trying his best to uh, to kill Shuya with his um, with his bow gun that he killed Tendo with, um, and he. Uh, run. Uh, he basically trips and falls, and he runs into Nita, who is like, "Hey, what's going on, man? And uh, did you drop this?" And he picks up his bow gun, and Akamatsu charges at him. Nita freaks out, pulls the trigger on the bow gun, and is accidentally shot. Um, Nita proceeds to freak out and then run away. So already we're off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, already we're getting this kind of weird mixture of like panic. And some people trying to be cool with each other and some people deciding to just go for it and kill, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, I should yeah, also admit. Go ahead. I, I forgot to mention that uh, that their teacher had protested the Battle Royale Act and was killed, and Kitano had rolled him out in front of the entire class to, to show them his dead body. And, like, it looks, like, violently killed. Like, he has blood splattered all He's, like, over. shot in the eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty gruesome. Uh, Scott, you were going to say something, though? Uh, yeah, just the, the range of emotions from, like, uh, the uh, hapless to like completely discounting the situation to sheer panic and everything that I, yeah. I, I appreciate the, the range of reactions that people have across the board. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, Shuya and Nordico meet and, um, they, uh, they kind of, uh, get their wits about them in a cave. Uh, they share their weapons uh, he has a pot lid, and she has binoculars. So, <laughs> yeah, they they both got the booby prize there. Um, and then we're treated to a bit of a flashback. Um, Shuya with Shia and Nobu Nobu in their uh, foster home, which um, which uh, Shuya was put in after his father's death. Um, they are best friends, and they're reading all sorts of manga, which uh, Joey actually noted the titles for most of them. Yeah, a lot of uh, jump brand manga i think it was maybe <laughs> specifically on one end of the spectrum but yeah like uh i saw slam dunk dragon ball devil man there were like lots of toys there's a common writer amazon toy i think maybe a um, fist of the north star toy all sorts of stuff so great all the greatest hits <laughs> yep yeah. i'm sure uh, i'm sure toy had nothing to do with this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um uh, and uh, they have a fun. I love these old flashbacks, by the way, because they they really flesh out the characters. Um, the the books, the book and the manga flesh out each individual character a lot more, which which gives every death a little bit more pathos. Hmm. Um, but regardless, uh, Nobu, uh, uh, you know, is talking to Shui about like, oh yeah, who do you have a crush on? He's like, I don't know, and, and Nobu's like, oh, well, I really like Nor- uh, Noriko, and that's you know, he's. We learn, we learn uh, the the crush that he had on Noriko, and then Noriko said, yeah, I'm the one who invited Nobu, and it's all my fault. And she tells her not to get her, get, get down, because he was glad that he came in the end. Um, uh, 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 overarching uh, theme in this movie is that, like, at the end of your life, you seemingly have no regrets, mm. kind of. That's what I've noticed about a lot of the deaths in this movie. Mm. Um, everybody sort of makes peace with, with themselves. Um, meanwhile, it, uh, HQ, what I'm going to be calling the school where Kitano's monitor, monitoring everything with the soldiers, uh, the soldiers mentioned that, uh, Numai's gang has grabbed Kiriyama and then we are, uh, whisked away to, uh, Kiriyama, the scary looking transfer student surrounded by, uh, Numai and his, and his gang of boys and one girl, uh, they make fun of Kiriyama for his weapon, which is uh, a, a paper fan. And uh, he then proceeds to take Numai's Uzi and waste them all uh, pretty much right away. Um, he picks up all of their dead bodies. I mean, he picks up the weapons off of their dead bodies. And uh, Numai, uh, Tsukioka, Sasagawa, and uh, Kurunaga... And um, and Kanai are all dead now. Um, meanwhile, uh, while this happens, uh, probably close by, um, 
on a nearby cliff. Uh, Yamamoto and Ogawa, lovers, um, or boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, commit suicide by jumping off of the cliff uh, just to get it over with, even though, um, even though Ogawa is very hesitant. Uh, he clearly doesn't want to do it, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's how it goes. Um, meanwhile, we see uh, Megumi, who, um, who I can assume is, uh, is Noriko's best friend by the way that they were acting with each other um, when they left class. Uh, Mitsuko, uh, or, yeah, Mitsuko uh, runs into Megumi as she's looking through pictures of you know hanging out with her friends and stuff like that, and Megumi shows her uh, the stun gun that she got, and she's like, pretty lame, huh? He's like, oh, she's like, ah, uh, Mitsuko goes, that's not so bad if you know how to use it. And uh, gets close enough to uh, disarm Megumi and sli- uh, slice her throat open with a, uh, with a, uh, a kamaitachi, a, um, a sickle, uh, or a kama, right? Kamaitachi is... Is, uh, I think is I believe a sickle with a chain attached. No, no, no. <clears throat> just a comma. Just your run-of-the-mill comma. Slices her, uh, slices her neck open, and uh, we get our first glimpse into how cold Mitsuko is as a person. Um, the next morning at six a.m., Kitano is on the loudspeaker uh, while some uh, classical music plays, um, <clears throat> uh, and uh, lists off the. All the students that have died uh, since that night. Uh, uh, Nakagawa, of course, mourns her friend Megumi, and uh, while um, while Kitano is giving the announcements, we are also treated to a scene of uh, Mitsuko changing into some uh, more comfortable clothes and putting on makeup and just washing her hair like ho hum, like you know, this is business as usual for me. Um, I really love that scene because it just it just goes to show you what type of person she is. Yeah, Mitsuko's my favorite villain in this just because she's she fits that kind of mean girl archetype taken to the extreme, whereas mm-hmm. uh, Kiriyama's just like this guy that shoots everybody. It's real boring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I, I won't disagree. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, at this point, uh, Noriko and Shia are attacked by Oki, um, who has camouflaged himself, and he comes at them with a hatchet. Uh, Shuya rolls down a cliff with him, and in the scramble, accidentally uh, puts Oki's hatchet into his own head. <laughs> and and blocks the hatchet with the pot lid, so the pot lid comes in handy. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I wrote that down this as being a cool fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he blocks it right with the handle. Very, very cool. Uh, yeah, keep that, keep that pot lid, buddy. Um, at which point um, they run into Kawada, who uh, is basically just collecting weapons and uh, sees that they have a pot lid and binoculars and just lets them go out of pity because uh, they seem more or less harmless. Uh, Mitsuko is also in the shadows um, with her armed with her kama. Uh, as Kawada is about to leave, um, we hear uh, two girls on a loudspeaker or on a megaphone who are um, trying to get everybody to come over to where they are, and we'll all get through this together, and and it'll be peaceful. And uh, 
uh, Shuya is freaking out, saying, "What this is? This is ridiculous. This is absolutely stupid. Don't do this." And uh, he yells out their name and tell them, telling them to run because they're calling attention to themselves. And uh, they don't. They uh, Yukiko and Kasaka don't uh, don't really listen to him. They just are super happy that it's Shuya. And uh, Kasaka um, reveals that Yukiko has always had a crush on him. And as she says this. They're both gunned down by Kiriyama's Uzi. Um, and Shuya kind of breaks down and has this moment where, you know, it, another moment of realization that, like, this is ridiculous. We're all friends. This shouldn't be happening. Uh, like, he's uh, he's really knocking it out of the park, by the way, the, the, the young actor playing, um, playing Shuya. And he's very, he sells it very well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, in the next scene, uh, Mitsuko goes back to her hideout where, um, where she had killed Megumi, Megumi, and um, and here comes Hirono, who is uh, who has Mitsuko at gunpoint, and is basically, you know, uh, she uh, she basically uh, slut shames uh, Mitsuko like a whole bunch, mm. and and uh, and blames her for. Uh, killing uh, Kuramoto and uh, and Yoshimi, who, by the way, have hung themselves um, uh, the night before. Uh, yeah, this whole like, sure... mean girl thing, as as uh, <laughs> Scott said, shows like kind of highlights one of the things that this movie does, which is kind of take high school dynamics to like a crazy level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's a really interesting way of putting it. Like this is extreme high school, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mitsuko uh, uh, sheds some crocodile tears, and uh, in that moment, um, ends up disarming Hirono uh, and killing her and taking her weapon. Um, meanwhile, Shia and uh, uh, Shia and uh, Noriko are are walking along. Uh, Noriko gets she just starts having a fever. So she uh, uh, takes her to a nearby house, which is uh, not booby trapped, but it's um, you know, it's got some trip alarm wires. rigging. Yeah, there it is, alarm rigging. That's what I was looking for. Um, and it turns out it's Kawada's place, and he, um, I think, affectionately calls them binoculars and pot lid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, brings them into the house, um, to uh, to help Noriko out because she's she's quite sick. Um, and then we get a little bit of a. A flashback story why um that kawada reveals that um he brought back he was brought back because he had won um a previous battle royale at the cost of his girlfriend keiko um and he wants to figure out the meaning of the smile that she gave when um when she died in his arms uh in the flashback uh they're the last two remaining in battle royale and their um their collars are about to explode she ends up shooting him, so then he has to retaliate and shoot her, and she dies smiling, and he's trying to figure out why. So why not do another battle royale and figure it out? <laughs> very at the very at the very least, he seems to be very good at it. So. Yeah. Um. So uh, meanwhile, while that's happening, um, Mimura and the rest of the AV club uh, are gathered in a uh, um. They gathered in an abandoned uh, 
I guess factory or building or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I like these guys. <laughs> yeah, they're they're really great. They um they exhibit a lot of fun teamwork. Uh and um Sugimura uh finds them. Um he his weapon is a GPS which uh which has uh basically little bleeping dots of where every single person is on the island, which uh I think arguably is the best weapon. Mm-hmm. Um so he finds them and uh Says he's looking for Kotohiki and Chigusa, and they're not there. So he's like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna go find them. I'll see you guys later." Uh, <laughs> ever the ever the ever the loyal knight, um, and uh, Mimura is a he's the basketball captain, I believe, and also a whiz kid um, slash amateur hacker. And he finds out that there's a mic in the necklace, and he gets on his computer and instructs the other two. Um, uh, Ijima and uh, Yutaka to gather some supplies like sulfur and charcoal and uh, fertilizer, basically bomb making supplies. Um, we don't find out exactly what they're doing until later on, but it's it's bomb stuff. Um, so uh, we're back at Kawara's um, house where uh, they hear gunshots outside or, or Uzi shots really. Um, Kawara or uh, not Kawara, uh, Kiriyama is chasing Oda, who is on a bicycle. Um, and as Oda is gunned down, um, Kiriyama leaves. Oda laughs and exclaims to himself, "Wow, this bulletproof vest sure is great." <laughs> <laughs> and as he's saying that, he looks up, and Kiriyama is drawing a katana, and proceeds to decapitate him. Uh, Kawada and uh, Shia and Noriko are on their guard and figuring out what the dealio. And then Oda's head uh, with a grenade in it comes crashing through their window, explodes. Um, Kawada and uh, Noriko get separated from Shia, who tells them to uh, tell he tells uh, him to keep Noriko safe. And um, he ends up running into Sugiyama, uh, and they're both chased by Kiriyama um, off a cliff. And uh, in the um, in the next <laughs> uh, the next morning, uh, Shia is is awoken by um, <laughs> he awakes in Castle Anthrax. Uh, <laughs> to borrow a uh, Monty Python reference, um, aka a lighthouse. Uh, he wakes up in a lighthouse next to um, uh, what's her face next to Yukie, uh, Yukie uh, Utsumi, who. Um, has a crush on Shuya and uh, nurses him back to health. She's bandaged him up and says, "Oh, I'm here with some uh, the other girls, and you know we've got food." And um, and Sugiyama said that he's uh, you know he brought you here last night, but um, he went to go look for somebody. He said, "So um, uh, oh crap, I skipped one of the uh, greatest parts." Um, okay, so uh, earlier <laughs> earlier on, this is uh, this is before Sugiyama meets up with um, with uh, with Shia. Uh, Chigusa, uh, Chigusa, uh, aka uh, Gogoyubari, is um, is taking a jog, uh, just casually taking a jog because she's uh, a runner. She's uh, the fastest in her class. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get a little bit of a cute flashback where. Uh, her and um, and Sugimura are uh, 
are running. Like he, she's running and he's uh, biking uh, in back of her. And and uh, you know she said he says, "Oh well, you'll always run ahead, and I'll always be watching your back." And um, as she comes out of the flashback, uh, Nita, uh, who we saw at the beginning with um, Akamatsu's crossbow, uh, shows up and is a sex-starved horn dog maniac. <laughs> Um, and is like, well, let's have sex. I, please, I really need this. We're going to die anyway. And, and she basically brushes him off. Like, you know, no way. You're you're disgusting. Uh, you know, get out of here before I like, you know, before I actually kill you. And, uh, in a fit of rage, he accidentally, uh, makes the crossbow go off. It damages her, her face. Um, and then she... Uh, goes into rage mode and um, takes out her pocket knife and stabs him repeatedly in the genitals uh, until he dies. <laughs> yeah, this scene is pretty great because, like, the entire time he's trying to hit on her, he's got the the crossbow like trained on her, and she is not afraid one bit as she's sitting there rejecting him. Yeah, and then the catharsis of the of the situation is her just like stabbing him in the groin repeatedly. Yeah, the, yeah. the switchblade I may add is a great uh, girl gang weapon, so it's very fitting for her. Yeah, tough scary girl. Well, not soon after she uh, she destroys Nita, um, Mitsuko comes out of nowhere shooting her gun. Um, Chigusa, of course, runs like the wind, but it's no match for a bullet. Um, we're, we are then uh, there's this really great scene where Chigusa is uh, at sunset. I think that's sunset, right? Yeah, that's sunset. Um, really beautiful shot. Uh, she's on the top of a dam, and she's dying. Uh, Sugimura comes out of nowhere, and uh, she wonders if it could be a dream. Um, and they have this really bittersweet moment, and she asks uh, Sugimura if he's in love with anyone, and he says, yes, but it's not, or she, is it me? And she says, no. And she's like, good, well, just, in that case, just stay with me until I die. And it's a very, it's a very bittersweet moment, and I wrote anime AF. <laughs> uh, this is a very anime-esque tragedy here um yeah i mentioned being kind of disappointed at how little uh Chucky Kurama is in uh blade of the immortal last episode and she's not in this a whole lot but what she is given to do has a lot of substance and she she demonstrates a lot of ability in these limited scenes and they're just really really good yeah through her through her um through her dialogue uh, you already get a you get a really great sense of this character. Um, when uh, Nita comes up to her, she goes, "Oh, oh God, you know, Kami-sama, please tell me that you know this <laughs> that this idiot's not saying all this." And uh, then she eventually says, "Oh, Kami-sama, is this a is this a dream? You know, are you you know?" It's it's a very sweet moment. Um, her death. Uh, okay, back to Castle Anthrax. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I had to. I had. I. I couldn't just gloss over that scene because no, I love it. Totally. Um, yeah. Um. So back at Castle Anthrax, um. Uh, Yukie uh, tells Shuya um. That uh, Oda was on last night's report, um, which we are then treated to a great flashback of his head, with a grin in his mouth, mm-hmm. um. And uh, that uh, Mizuho and Kaori uh, were also killed, and you see um. You see, I guess, a little flash of them. Uh, they're both gutted and stabbed. I'm not really sure by who. Uh, one of them is ha- is impaled by a uh, 
it's a uh, like a pickaxe, and uh, the other one has just a knife sticking out of her. And um, she also says that uh, via the noon report, um, boys uh, Takiguchi and Hatagami are dead. And uh, then we see them both naked, bleed, uh, 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 bled out, and Mitsuko putting her clothes back on, uh, which uh, leads the audience to believe that she seduced and killed them. Uh, and she... Uh, yeah, they're in like a giant bathhouse or something. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Um, the, I know that in the manga, this is uh, a much more explicit scene, mm-hmm. and, and she does have sex with the two of them and, and kills them. Um... <clears throat> So uh, Yukia goes downstairs to tell the girls, the rest of the girls, that um, that Shuya has awakened, and she locks the door behind her because she says, "Oh yeah, Yuko doesn't trust you because you killed Oki," and he's like, "Oh well, that's that was an accident, completely." Uh, so she goes downstairs, and they all have a really fun like, like the night after the sleepover moment, where they're all kind of like, you know, talking and. Uh, and they're making uh, they're making spaghetti or noodles, I guess they're making noodles, um, some sort of ramen soup. And uh, you see Yuko in the corner, kind of just like twiddling her thumbs. And uh, and Satomi, uh, the girl with the glasses, is also a little bit on edge as well. Um, so Yuko uh, plans on poisoning Shuya to get revenge um, for uh, Oki's death. I'm assuming, of course, that she had a crush on Oki because this is high school. Uh, now, uh, Yuka says, oh, I'll go upstairs and feed Shuya. Uh, meanwhile, um, Yuka comes out of nowhere, um, from the, uh, from the top of the lookout, and she is, you know, very, oh, I'm so happy for you, Nanahara's awake, uh, you know, don't tell me you don't like him, ha ha ha, oh, wow, this is, this is so good, I can't, I, you know, this is, this is amazing food, I can't wait to eat it, and she takes the poisoned food, eats it, basically dies immediately, coughs up blood, um, and suddenly all the girls freak out and get suspicious and start blaming each other. Um, and uh, there is uh, a whole heap of misunderstanding as Satomi takes her gun, takes a gun, guns down Chisato, Yukie, and Haruka. Um, and Satomi gets gunned down herself as well because there's guns everywhere. They're just yeah. lying around. Um, so they basically all kind of shoot each other. Yuko is underneath a, ta- a table, um, flabbergasted over what was basically her fault. Um, Shuya hears the commotion, is freaking out, and uh, eventually breaks down the door, sees Yuko run upstairs, and is too late. She has already jumped off of the lighthouse and committed suicide. Uh, I'd like to note that the uh, this whole scene reminds me a lot uh, watching it now reminds me a lot of like Tarantino films, which I have I haven't seen any of the battles about honor and humanity, but I have to assume that that was probably something a similar si- situations must happen in those films, and so I wonder how much uh, uh, Fukusaku's kind of style with that scene influenced uh, mm-hmm. Tarantino because yeah it, it it definitely felt like a, a similar vibe as a lot of his tense kind of scenes like that mexican standoffs yeah it definitely like i think feeds into one of the themes of the movie that's this sort of idea that like um even in the most uh idyllic scenarios uh there's this sort of undercurrent of if 
you're threatened, you might uh, <laughs> attack someone else. And that humanity kind of has this ugly underbelly because like things were going very well and it just took like uh, someone kind of uh, making the wrong move for everyone to suddenly turn on themselves in, in such a high pressure situation. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, um, at a nearby shrine, the Takoto Shrine, uh, where um, Kawada told uh, Shia to meet him and Noriko after they got separated, um, uh, he's he's uh, cooking some food, and uh, Noriko, of course, is uh, wondering about Shuya, and just has uh, oh she wakes up from a dream in which she and Kitano are on a riverbank together with um, with popsicles. And they're sort of like sharing a moment. Um, there's no, there's no audio in this scene. There's no, like, there's dialogue. There's mouths moving, but you don't hear what the dialogue is. I'm not sure if there was any sort of subtext. But she wakes up and says, you know, I think that Kitano is just a lonely guy. You know, he's, you know, I think he's just a lonely, a lonely person. Um, uh, at some point uh, during all of this, by the way, Kitano gets a call from his daughter, um, who basically hates his guts. Um, and kind of braids him over the phone saying, you know, mom's sick. You should do something about it. And he's like, oh, I'm on a business trip. I won't be back for a few days. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that happens uh, slightly before this scene. Um, uh, so uh, Noriko uh, goes further into the woods, and we see uh, Shuya is, like, limping, and he kind of falls flat um, onto the ground, and she, um, she goes to him. And who else but Kitano is out taking a stroll. And he's just like, yo. Um, and he offers them an umbrella. And he just sort of walks away. Um, <clears throat> uh, so I, 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 I kind of love this scene. Um, just because of how lackadaisical Kitano is. Yeah. This, uh, what better way to... Um, Better way to to uh, relieve stress by walking through a, a battle zone. Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally. And in this situation, like, I don't know, he may see himself as being nice and doing them a favor, but it's almost more intimidating to suddenly have this guy show up again. Um, it's yeah. like playing mind games. Yeah, it straight up scares off Mitsuko. Oh yeah, that's right. Mitsuko is there too, and she's about to she's about to basically kill. Kill Shuya, but uh, she sees Kitano and she, yeah, she runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she chooses her battles uh, pretty wisely, uh, seemingly. Uh, so, um, Sugimura is um, is wandering through an abandoned uh, building and uh, using his GPS, and he is then uh, ambushed and shot by uh, Kotohiki, um, uh, the girl he was looking for. Um, as she, as he's dying, he says, "You got to get out of here. You got to run." And then confesses that he's always loved her. Um, but she also says, "But I've never talked to you," which is like very like all of like there's so many different like schoolyard tropes here uh, in this movie, and this is another one. Um, as uh, you know, as she's crying over his dead body, uh, Mitsuko just says, "Die," and shoots her right in the heart. Um, and uh, as that happens, uh, Kiriyama uh, comes out of nowhere and just without any fanfare wastes Mitsuko. 
yeah uh, there's that's the end of that character <laughs> yeah, yeah like for such a so for such a like a wonderful like villain mm -hmm. she just gets just picked off right there uh, i kind of i kind of love that uh so uh mimura and the rest of the av club have um have uh put together have put together a bomb um Apparently Mimura's uh, uncle is a fighter, like, um, and he's still fighting, and he's like, I'm gonna be like my uncle and, you know, fight for what I believe in, and we're gonna get through this together. So they have this bomb that they're planning on, uh, they're planning on, uh, basically destroying the entire, like, system. Uh, Mimura hacks into it using a program that he developed in the last 12 hours, um, which is amazing. Uh, he basically shuts off all the collars, um, all the danger zones, uh, basically makes the entire island safe for anybody else who's still alive. Um, meanwhile, the military is scrambling and uh, trying to figure everything out. Uh, as they get the bomb ready into the little... Uh, so they're planning on getting uh, putting the bomb into a little truck and blowing up the school, just completely taking up the HQ. Uh, so they can, you know, uh, leave without... Uh, leave without any... Um, any problem at all. Uh... Kimura, uh, I'm sorry, Kiriyama shows up, however, uh, and kills, kills, uh, Yutaka and Ijima in, uh, with his, with his Uzi, and after a firefight, uh, Mimura just says, fuck it, and, um, tries to activate the bomb, but he gets shot by, uh, Kiriyama and ignites the bomb himself, which causes a gigantic explosion that also envelops Kiriyama. Um, as, uh, Shuya, Noriko, and Kawada go uh, make their way towards um, the quote-unquote getaway, uh, like uh, that um, Kawada says uh, he has in, uh, in store for them. Um, they, of course, see this big explosion, and who steps out of the flame but Sephiroth? Um, <laughs> I mean, Kiriyama. <laughs> um, they, uh, there's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool anime fight here. Where uh, Kawada ends up uh, finally killing the um, seemingly unbeatable um, and at this point blind uh, Kiriyama, uh, but he gets mortally wounded in the process. Yeah, the the shootout between the two of them is really cool because the building's on fire behind them. The entire field they're in is like on fire in patches. Kiriyama is has just completely white eyes with blood trickling down from them because he's blind. Yeah, and it's just shooting at sounds and. Uh, Kawada is doing all these like flips and twirls and stuff while he's shooting a shotgun, which is like kind of cool and kind of goofy at the same time. Yeah, uh, you can tell that they kind of had a lot of fun with this uh, sequence, mm -hmm. um, and it's a very cool last boss fight. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. Um, so, um, <clears throat> they uh, they um. They vanquish Kiriyama, and uh, they're the only three left on the island. At which point, Kawada says, okay, well, now I'm going to kill you. I used you the entire time. The Keiko stuff was a lie. <laughs> the cake was a lie. Um, <laughs> God, why did I... <laughs> Dumb. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's then reported that uh, uh, Kawada is the only one left. Um, so the mil uh, Kitana tells the military to leave. Yeah, they want to go verify because their computer systems are still down. They can't track through the necklaces. 
Yeah. But then he's like, no, and it just it, it's done. Go ahead, leave. Yeah, which, which I, I don't know if it if he was just like, no, I don't I don't want to know if they were, you know, if they were uh, if they were actually if you know if they were actually killed or not. Yeah. I think he know like he clearly knows once Kawada shows up that he was up to something and wants to get to the bottom of it himself. Yeah, I don't true. know that he he knows specifically what happened. Right. Well, either way, the next morning, um, Tano is the only one left around the HQ, and he's doing morning calisthenics like your typical Oji son. Um, and uh, Kawada limps on up, and he um, <clears throat> and uh, he confronts Kawada. Uh, uh, Kitano confronts Kawada and um, and then he uh, accuses Kawada of hacking the system months beforehand uh, and ended up disa disabling the devices himself um, the, uh, right before he's about to uh, shoot Kawada mm -hmm. Noriko and Shuya rush on in and then uh, Kitano unveils a, a homemade painting that he's been working on the last three days of uh, Class 3B massacring each other uh, and uh, with Noriko in the middle with a halo being the sole survivor of, of, the, uh, of the massacre. Uh, and he reveals basically that he, was, uh, he wasn't able to bear the uh, hatred between um, him and his students uh, because he's been, his daughter hates him and he's always really liked Noriko. She's always been like the good one. Uh, so he asks her to kill him, uh, and says, "Well, if you don't shoot me, I'll shoot you." And pulls out a gun. And as he gets closer and threatens more, Shuya ends up shooting him. And when Kitano pulls the trigger, water comes out. It's a squirt gun, um, which. I couldn't help but laugh. Uh, this is very... It, it seems very typical of Kitano's characters. Just very, like, dark humor that I also, characters seem to have. I like how you, you likened the Kiriyama fight as, like, the big boss fight. And this is... In, in keeping with JRPG tropes, <laughs> this is the, like, super final boss you fight that you discover is actually just a gimme. That's right. Yep. <laughs> that's yeah that's that's yep uh so uh as he gets shut up he basically dies and then his phone rings and he gets up like nothing happened uh, <laughs> which i think it's is also super funny very bizarre yeah <laughs> yeah and it's his daughter and he's like look i'm not coming home this is just the consequences that this is the consequence that you're going to have to deal with for hating somebody and uh, he throws the phone and shoots it and then uh, eats one of Noriko's cookies because he's been munching on them the entire time and says, damn good cookies, as he dies. Uh, so uh, at this point, Shio, Noriko, and Kawada are on a boat. Um, and uh, Kawada steers them in, a, in the right direction, uh, dies from his wounds, and he's happy that he found some true friends. Uh, among all of this and he finally he says he finally realizes uh what keiko's smile meant hmm. um in the epilogue she and noriko are um are wanted by the government 
Um, they're declared as accomplices in murder. And, um, you know, they have uh, ball caps on to disguise the fact that they are um, on the run. Uh, uh, Noriko gives Shia a butterfly knife, and then they um, they run off into Shibuya together. And that's the end of the movie Battle Royale. <laughs> well, uh, thoughts? Go ahead, Scott. You, how'd you guys like the movie? I was impressed at how well it held up because in, in my mind, because I haven't seen it so long, I was like, did I actually like this because it's a good movie or did I like it because I saw it at the right time and it was some cool kind of uh, subversive foreign film that I liked because it seemed cool versus I liked because it was actually really well done. And it is actually a really well done movie. Um, all the performances are really good. The the plotting and pacing is nice. My only complaint really is I didn't like how it looked that much, especially a lot of the day for night shots where everything is just dark and blue. <laughs> mm. uh, I had, I had a little issue with those, but everything else about the movie held up surprisingly well for something that, uh, I hadn't checked in on in a long time. I thought it was really okay. interesting to revisit this uh, as we talked a little bit at the start of the show after becoming more familiar with the work of Kinji Fukusaku because, like, uh, speaking of battles without honor and humanity, uh, that and this have actually interesting things in common. Like, it's a large cast of characters who kind of one by one are being killed and the text on the screen comes up and says who they are and stuff and um, but like in contrast to that, uh, battles has this very like frantic shaky cam style movement of camera work and the camera work in this in battle Royale feels like much more deliberate and measured. Um, you know, the movies of course were like 30 years apart. So it's not surprising that Fukusaku had like changed or developed his style since then. But, um, I, that was something that I thought was really interesting to look at. And, um, I do want to get into the special edition director's cut, but before, uh, so Alex, did the version you saw periodically have black screens with white text on it saying some like thoughts of the characters? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't remember if that was in the regular cut or not. So like that plus the use of the uh, classical music really uh, reminded me of Neon Genesis Evangelion a lot, uh, which I think is not necessarily to say that that, uh, directly influenced this, but it, it, I think, points to kind of what was in the, like, Japanese zeitgeist at the time, uh, because these were made around the same time, and uh, definitely shows the sort of, like, aesthetics uh, of the filmmaking from that, from that time period, um, which is interesting to me. Uh, I also think it's interesting in the larger context of, like, things this has influenced looking to uh western properties things we talked about uh the hunger games which obviously owes a whole lot to this mm-hmm. um and one of the most popular video games on the planet right now is player known's battlegrounds which is uh directly influenced by this both in the gameplay style and they've got things like they made loot boxes where you can get uh Chigusa's yellow j- uh, tracksuit and and things like huh. that, where it's obvious that 
the the creator uh player unknown i can't remember his his actual name has has stated that this was a big influence on him so there's it, it this has a for something that was kind of a smaller cult movie it seems this has had such a big footprint on both western and japanese media since then yeah so I had only seen up till this point the regular edition, and then this time I watched the special edition slash director's cut, and some things that that uh, changes, it, or adds, I guess I should say, it, it inserts this like framing device of a basketball game throughout the whole movie from the class's past. Yeah, um, I remember that. As well as these like short epilogues at the end where we see, uh, we revisit Noriko's dream where she's hanging out with Kitano and having the popsicles and um some other scenes and there's also like a flashback for Mitsuko that gives her a little bit uh more sort of background to why she is the way she is and stuff and um you know i i'm someone who often will point to the original version of something and be like they should this is the best version they should have never mucked with it but like i actually really like those additions like um watching it that like so i uh this gets into my critiques a little bit, I guess. Watching this, like, Battle Royale has always seemed to me like a really interesting concept and a, like, fun action movie, but, like, I never felt, like, super connected to the characters because you know just through the concept, like, what it is. They're all being killed off one by one, and I don't know. It just doesn't, like, quite connect to me in that way, but, like, I felt very affected by these epilogues at the end, especially, like, seeing the basketball game uh, where they're all cheering and hugging each other and stuff. Like... Where I was not, like, feeling it at the time, I suddenly was like, oh, it's really sad that these guys all killed themselves, <laughs> killed each other, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I thought the director's cut was pretty... Um, is, is a good change, uh, in my opinion. I have to yeah. check that out, because I think I'm the only one here who has not seen that at all. Well, if you have Netflix, yeah, the director's cut is on Netflix. Okay. Um, yeah, I had, I had seen the director's cut years ago, and it is very, like... Uh, it, is, it is effective, it's um it is very effective all the all of the little flashbacks in uh throughout the movie also help uh flesh out nobu and mitsuko mm-hmm. in particular like why nobu's death was so um was so impactful and and why mitsuko acts the way she does yeah yeah um did you guys have a oh i kind of wanted to talk about the music a little bit um hey i do so too. <laughs> yeah so uh in addition to the classical music that is uh, used throughout the film, like of course, Yes uh, Irae is is the is the main theme of the movie, and uh, the Blue Danube waltz is heard as the uh, Radetzky March, um, often watched through uh, Singen. Like uh, classical music that you've heard before in cartoons and other media that you might not know the name of, um, they're usually played during uh, during the. Um, the uh the death recaps mm. on the announcements but aside from aside from that uh which uh by the way uh um all of the music was uh, orchestrated by the uh by the Warsaw National Philharmonic in Poland um Masamichi Amano is the uh, composer for the rest of the music in the movie which i um which i also found very uh i found very heartening i thought the the original music in the movie is very is very sweet yeah um yeah. did you wanted to you wanted to talk about the music Jerry? yeah i actually would specifically like to talk a sec about the ending theme 
Um, oh, yeah. It's yeah. Shizuka no Hibi no Kaidano is uh, a song by a group called Dragon Ash. Uh, the name of the song means Climbing the Stairs of Quiet Days. Um, and Dragon Ash is actually the Japanese band that I have the longest like relationship with uh, following their output and stuff. Um, in high school, a friend of mine, uh, um, uh, he was Japanese, uh, gave me a mixtape with two of their albums on it. And um, since then, I've sort of sought out the rest of their music and kept up with them to this day. So uh, I have, you know, some connection to it that way. The, it, they were they're an interesting band because they uh, were originally a uh, kind of punky uh, grunge rock band uh, formed by Kenji Furia, who's the son of an actor, actually. And um, but they went through a lot of transformations. Um, he was interested in uh, hip hop and rap, and are, they are actually one of the first bands to popularize uh, rap in um, in Japanese pop music. Um, and this song, like I said, they've gone through a lot of periods uh, of change. Like uh, they've done like dance music and a lot of like Latin inspired music and stuff. And and this was during a time period where they were finally kind of uh for better or worse kind of fusing the rap and rock and and getting into the new metal uh genre as was done at the time yeah not not my (laughs) fave thing but i feel like they do kind of the best they can with it um and so the song sort of sticks out in a weird way and doesn't quite like a hundred percent like fit in with the movie since everything else is like classical music and has a sort of like um more classical feel to it but like the lyrics are about like a hopeful future and describe idyllic landscapes and dreams and things. And so I think in that way it does sort of relate to the film. Well, plus it was like, it feels like an anime ending, thing, you know, <laughs> like doesn't necessarily have to do with the, uh, what, what happened. Uh, but yeah, uh, back to, uh, 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 Masamichi for, uh, Masamichi Mano for a moment. Yeah. Um, uh, he's, he's actually a pretty prolific, uh, Composer of anime music, um, Rune Explorers, uh, Giant Robo, uh, Six Angels, um, uh, Str- uh, Sin the Movie, uh, a lot of video games too, um, Quest sixty four, Fantasy Star Universe, um, uh, Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, and uh, he was also the composer for Django Unchained. Oh, hmm. huh. Uh, the music in that movie. So, yeah, pretty pretty interesting. Uh, <clears throat> did you guys have any uh, favorite scenes in the movie? Um, I uh, oh, go ahead, Scott. Go ahead. Um, I don't know. I, I've I've got a few, and I'll talk about which which one. Nobody else. <laughs> I wasn't going to specifically talk about a scene. Something I wanted to highlight that didn't uh, come up specifically is that I just really loved the island itself like it has this like beautiful scenic surroundings that feel so peaceful in contrast to what's going on and yet there's these like abandoned buildings and homes like they're very interesting it's kind of like makes you wonder like what went on here why is this the the area that it is uh being used for you know and i found it uh it really drew me in uh this time i i found myself very sucked into like looking at the landscape and stuff and thought it was kind of beautiful and creepy at the same time um mm. given different circumstances i'd like to visit that spot and walk around you know <laughs> uh yeah 
It seems like the uh, it seems like the house from Hauzu would be on that island. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting because like the houses and stuff still have stuff in them, so it looks like they were like abandoned in a hurry or something. Uh, yeah. And yet yeah these, when they like, say they evacuated the island, they were like, "All right, everybody goes now." Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, um, uh, I guess my favorite scene is probably like my favorite scene segment slash segment is probably the uh, Chigusa Sugiyama stuff. Um, that sunset is such a beautiful shot. Um, but we don't really see any other point in the movie. Uh, and, uh, it's, I don't know, I, I, I love scenes where the kids are fleshed out, basically. Like, you get to see the relationship that they each have with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes the movie the most interesting, which is, which is why I think that the, the stuff that they got that, uh, that was in the director's cut is, is, um is kind of important in that way um but yeah I, i'd probably say that 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 chigusa scene that i mentioned earlier is uh my favorite scene but um if i were to choose a second then it mm, it might be uh any scene with the av club kids <laughs> they're they really were so fun. great i love his little like slam dunk uh basketball player uh computer hacker thing i love that sort of like dumb but fun conceit that like computer hackers make their own little graphics that pop up whenever (laughs) you're being hacked Uh, yeah i actually wondered about that i was like how did he have time to like make a did he do that with html5 like i was i was like that's such a a useless like thing if you're in a hurry to save lives i don't know (laughs) that's great he's just got a big folder full of like art stuff to do that with so yeah i suppose he brought his computer with him yeah unless, i don't know unless he, he found his one. personal yeah. laptop or or what yeah I don't actually know. yeah it's probably they they had their their personal bags with them so it probably is yeah. right because yeah. uh mitsuko had her, all of her makeup and stuff yeah oh yeah true i i had assumed yeah i um i didn't go back uh and look at what all of their weapons were i thought about doing that but i'm like that's too much uh, so I don't know. Look it up online if you want to you find out what everybody got as a weapon. Now that I'm thinking about it, is it Kiriyama who's the one who like leaves and then comes back and says like, "This is my bag." That's Kawada. Oh, that's no, Kawada. Kawada. Okay, never mind then. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking like, man, he was really insistent on getting that paper fan, but. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, Scott. Um. Yeah, I, I figured yours would be the Chigusa scene. I didn't want to. Didn't want to snipe that one. Uh. The uh, my f- second favorite scene after that is probably the the one the part with the educational video, but we've already gone over that a bunch. <laughs> oh, uh, except to say, I really love the sound effect when they throw the bags to them. That oh like, yeah, sound clip that plays every time they catch it. It's just really satisfying. Um, but yeah, uh, really good foley work actually, because it yeah. it also sounds like each bag is different too. Um, but uh, the. The scene that really stood out to me, especially the first time I watched it, watched it, and still, um, still now, is the the ending on or when they're on the boat, and it's this like super triumphant scene where they've they've gotten away from the island, they're they got the their necklaces off, they've survived, and everything, and Quada, which is a character that you've grown to have a bunch of affection for, who seems like he's doing fine, uh, suddenly like. 
uh, you remember that, oh, he, he probably got shut up. And then as he's laying down, like being thankful for his new friends, he dies. And that was like the first time I watched that, it was really shocking to me and, and frustrating because I was like, I like that character so much mm-hmm. and I didn't want that to happen. But I mean, that's not how movies work. Yeah. So <laughs> one thing about Kawada that I didn't mention during the synopsis was um, every time they comment on something he's doing, like, oh, you're such a good cook. Oh, my dad's a chef. Oh, you can you can pilot a boat. You can uh, steer a, a ship. Oh, yeah. My dad was a my dad was a sailor. Like, <laughs> oh, I didn't, I I didn't catch that. That's interesting. Yeah. I thought that was sort of a funny quirk that yeah. he would say, like, I who was his father, really? Like, I don't know. It was yeah. very uh, I like that. All right. Um, I suppose I suppose that's it, right? That's yeah. Ooh, uh, um, I guess I could uh, the so regarding the manga and the and the uh, and the novel, I think that the uh, they do end up with different weapons. I think that's one of the main um, one of the main differences. Mm. Um, and I thought it would be cool to go back and like um, compare and contrast what rep- weapons everybody ended up with, but. In the end, everybody dies except for <laughs> except for the two main ones. So um, now, Battle Royale has a sequel, uh, Battle Royale Two, which I've not watched. Um, uh, my friend Greg, uh, who uh, you, some of you might know from the One Piece podcast, uh, he told me never to watch it, <laughs> um, despite the fact that Shuya and um, Shuya and Noriko are both in it, and uh, I believe Katano is as well. Uh, but I did read that. Um, that uh, Fukusaku was, uh, he started to direct it and died of cancer while making it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not really his movie, uh, which is sad because it could have been, it could have been something, uh, something, uh, you know, probably better than what uh, it ended up with, what they ended up with in, in the end. Yeah, um, I remember hearing about it. I think it has a lot to do, like it has, I think, came out at a time period where terrorism was a hot topic and uh that's of course kind of ingrained in this idea that these kids are fighting against this government um and so i think there was a lot of talk about like i don't know it's weird it's kind of like pro-terrorist or something yeah i see yeah it's uh it's worth noting within all the stuff about the movie not getting a u.s release because they're afraid of it being violence in school children that it was just, it came out in Japan just a year after Columbine. So that all that stuff was still pretty fresh in the zeitgeist here as well. Mm. And so like, it's, it's interesting seeing world events kind of following movies, dealing with, with related themes that like, even though it's trying to actually deal with or say something about those themes that just because it has them at all, it's like, no, we can't do this. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well that's it for Battle Royale. Um, what uh, what do we have in store for next month? Next month, April, uh, we're going to be covering uh the first film uh in a series, Female Prisoner Number Seven Hundred One Scorpion. Ooh. Uh, yes, this was uh, requested by a friend of the show Casey uh at Minovsky article. Um, this is a 1972 film directed by Shunya Ito and starring Meiko Kaji, who we spoke about in, uh, she was the star of Lady Snowblood that we covered last year. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited to get into this, um, with you guys. It's fairly easy to get a hold of. It's, it's, uh, available for rent on Amazon, for instance. Um, 
I do want to issue a bit of a warning. Uh, last month we spoke a little bit about, um, you know, I don't know, waning uh, um, tolerance for things that uh, ha- involve a lot of like sexual violence and stuff. And this movie definitely, uh, that's a major theme within it. So if that upsets you, uh, maybe skip it. But I, I do recommend this movie and think that it's interesting, uh, an interesting piece of uh, kind of a cultural artifact. But also uh, there's some excellent stuff with the direction. And, and, and Kaji is, of course, one of my favorite actors. And she has a um, biography coming out that by the time we record, will maybe some information from that will be out and a new album and stuff. So now is kind of a perfect time to... Uh, dive into a Meiko Kaji uh, vehicle for sure. Yeah, she's having kind of a, a, maybe not a career, but like a, a zeitgeist renaissance, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see more stuff with her in it. So, yeah. Yeah. Same. All right. Well, um, as for plugs for this month, uh, uh, Scott? Uh, I am Friska Chat on Twitter, V R I S K A C H A T. Um, uh, something that we tweeted about it from the uh, Toho Yaro Twitter account, but I wanted to make note that uh, the Japanese character actor Rin Osugi passed away in late February. He's uh, an alum of the show of on Shall We Dance and Sonatina and uh, one other thing. I, Shin Godzilla. For, he was oh yeah, Shin Godzilla. Major player in that. He played the prime yeah. minister. Um. But yeah, he's he's a character actor. He's worked a lot with uh, uh, Takeshi Kitano and uh, has appeared in uh, just a ton of stuff. And uh, he passed away, and which is which is sad. But uh, through that tweet, we learned about a recent television show called By Players B Y P L O A Y E R S, all one word. That is uh, apparently a mockumentary about. Japanese character actors and was described as it's like Terrace House with Oji-sans. So I, I still need to track that down and check it out, but it sounds like something that's well worth uh, our audience knowing. Yeah, about. a lot of the people that we've covered in some of these movies uh, make appearances in that show. I haven't seen it either, but I was reading up on it after uh, those tweets and it sounds great. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, I'm at Dude Exclamation on Twitter. Um, also check out uh, Weeb Simpsons, which is a great Twitter account that I don't know who is in charge of it, but uh, they must be a cool person. I feel like Japanese culture and uh, in terms of you know Japanese pop culture, um, check out Weeb Simpsons. Uh, there's a Weeb Simpsons for everybody, including Joey. There is. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Joey, where can people find you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Joey Weiser or follow joeyweiser.tumblr.com for updates about uh, my career in comics. Um, I'm an author of an award-winning uh, graphic novel series called Merman uh, that one through five is uh, all out now. That's the whole series. And um, keep an eye out for my new book, Ghost Hog, next year. And uh, depending on when this drops, uh, later in March, March 24th, the Fluke Mini Comics Festival will be in Athens, Georgia. So um, if you're around, stop by. Uh, I'd love to see you and talk uh, Japanese movies or whatever. All right. Well, everybody, that's uh, that's it for this month's episode of Toho Yaro. Please uh, join us next month for Female Prisoner Scorpion.
Bye. 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 Also follow us on Twitter. <laughs> I forgot to do that stuff. <laughs> Whatever. Oh. Eh, that's fine. It's okay. <laughs> yep. They know. Oh.